you know, sometimes you, you get so caught up in something that you forget what you're doing. Uh, I, as, as Pat was singing, he gave his all so that we could truly be free, so that we could live our lives for the sake of the one who gave us everything. I, I was praying through that as she was singing, and I was like, all right, I could just get up there and say, all right, amen, go do it. Um, and I just got caught up. And so I'll have to talk to the guys that uh, put these order of services together too because, you know, there was an extra chorus in there. That's poor Chris. He's, he, he says, it says we're going to sing it three times, but we sing it four because the guy who put the choruses together messed that up. So that was me too. <laughs> but we serve a God of grace. I'm thankful for that. Amen. All right. Well, if, if uh, you didn't catch it, Pastor Tim, uh, when he was coming up, mentioned that this is our first Monday or our first Sunday of local evangelism month. Hi, I'm Chad. I, <laughs> this is our first Sunday of our month-long focus uh, on local evangelism uh, month. And uh, if you come to our Sunday evening services, you may have uh, recognized uh, uh, the guy uh, on the video. We have looked at a couple of those uh, videos in the past couple weeks. Um, and it just kind of helped to set the tone for us. Uh, so a couple weeks ago, Pastor Tim uh, talked about how are we doing regarding evangelism. Um, and then uh, last Sunday night, uh, I helped us to look at who is Jesus. And those kind of helped to lay the foundation and the, the groundwork for where we are this morning. And this morning, we're going to be talking about who our we. Uh, because the theme for our local evangelism month this year is gospel-shaped outreach. Um, rather than trying to uh, beat us down with we should be, you know, getting out there and doing better or, you know, discouraging us, we really want to focus on encouraging all of us uh, that we have the opportunity to uh, share the love of Christ with other people around us. And so, so we want our, our outreach to be shaped and informed and guided by and directed by the gospel, meaning my life has been changed by the gospel. And because I know God can do that, that should compel us to uh, get out there and share uh, with others. So that's what we're going to be looking at for this month-long focus uh, on local evangelism. And our hope is uh, that it will encourage us that not only uh, is this possible for us to do in our daily lives, uh, but this is what God would have and desire uh, for us. The first point that I want us to think about this morning is our video talked about missions a lot. So we're going to look at, just briefly, evangelism and missions. It's important to remind ourselves the difference between evangelism and missions. And, and uh, our friend in the video, I, I think he's right on with the things that he's saying, but I do think that it's important for us to, to just step back for a brief moment and talk about the fact that there is a difference between evangelism and missions. Uh, he uses the Great Commission very effectively as the main uh, verse that he wants us to look at uh, throughout this series. And in it, we actually do have the command for both missions and evangelism. Um, Missions is essentially Christians living out and being Christians in another culture, purposefully trying to take the gospel somewhere where it is not known. 
purposefully trying to cross cultural and language and, and geographical barriers and reaching people that have never heard the gospel of Christ and don't have believers living amongst them and don't have a church amongst them that would be able to reach them. That's missions. Missions essentially is Christians living out their faith somewhere where there aren't any Christians. And so the Great Commission gives us a beautiful look at, at the fact that we should be passionate about missions and evangelism. See, sometimes people think that it's verses. So I want us to compare verses or and. Because as Christians, we need to be passionate about both. And here at First Baptist Church, we are, we are passionate about missions, about taking the name of Christ to the ends of the earth. But we need to be equally as passionate about taking the gospel message to the end of our block, to the end of our school hallway, to the end of our work cubicles, to the end of wherever we are here in this community. And I like uh, how pastor and theologian D.A. Carson um, deals with this passage of scripture reminding us that it isn't only about missions. And, and perhaps it's D.A. Carson's you know, use, liberal, liberal use of sarcasm that connects with me so much. Uh, but regarding, regarding this dichotomy of, of missions and evangelism, especially here in Matthew 28 of the Great Commission, D.A. Carson says this. He says, The Great Commission does not record Jesus saying to the apostles and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you except for this commandment to make disciples. Keep their grubby hands off that one, since it belongs only to you, my dear apostles. You see, sometimes we think that when we look at the Great Commission and it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. Sometimes we think, oh, well, that's just about missions. But if we're going to teach them to obey all that I have commanded you, Jesus is also telling us then we need to be teaching them that they need to be disciple-making believers in Christ as well. No one is exempt from being the light of Christ in this dark world. Every Christian is called to make disciples. And so our question regarding the gospel-shaped evangelism series this morning is, who are we? And I think that we need to make sure in our own lives that we step back and actually evaluate that question in our own lives. Everyone needs to examine our own hearts and ask ourselves that question. Because people in our culture have seemingly forgotten who we are. And so, uh, out in Christendom, there's now many books and, and many uh, articles coming out with a concept that I'm sure many of you have heard of, but probably some of you have not. And this term is called missional living. And, and, and the thought behind missional living is, is that it's a response to the apathy in our culture of living our daily life with our faith being at the center of everything we think, say, and do. It's a, it's a pushback against the fact that particularly with evangelism and outreach, many Christians have decided to, to compartmentalize their faith and say, this is my faith, and it kind of goes over here in this box, and this box is my family, and I, I might 
put a little bit of my faith in that box, but, but this box is my work, and, and you know, depending on what my boss likes or doesn't like, I, I'll let a little of my faith come in, but if they don't like it, then I'll just kind of keep my faith out of that arena. And over here I have my, my, my entertainment, and over here I have my sports, and over here I have my free time, and over here I have... And, and depending on how we feel on a given day, we may allow our faith to permeate those boxes, but the reality is, is that, that our faith should be evident in every single one of those areas of our lives. And so missional living tells us or, or compels us to go back to the concept that Eric brought up in the video. And we'll talk about this a little bit later. But Eric said, when we believe the gospel, we want to tell people the gospel. Missional living is simply categorized as that. When we believe the gospel, and I know the power of the gospel in my life, I should want to tell other people about that gospel. And that means my life should be lived with purpose and meaning and significance that are guided and governed and directed by my faith every minute of every day. Missional living is an attempt to get back and to realign our Christian belief system with what we really see in Scripture and what we saw in the early church. And quite frankly, I think sometimes when, when we look at the early church, and especially in Acts chapter 2, the, cha- the church makes it look so easy. If we had time this morning, we would look at Acts chapter 2 and, and we could look at that church and we could say, you know, there's this hugely devoted community. They're devoted to one another. They have brotherly love for one another and that love spills out to the community around them. And they were loving in everything that they do. And, and, and we could see that they were a worshiping community. They understood who God was and they worshiped him together. And then they also were a very evangelistic community and the fruits of that were evident in the community around them. We see something like that taking place in Acts chapter 2, and we go, wow, they make it look so easy. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to study Acts chapter 4. Because sometimes we think that who we are was easy for them in the New Testament, in the early church. And it's just so much harder for us today. So if you have your Bibles, open it with me to Acts chapter 4 this morning. And we're going to see that in Acts 4, it wasn't easy. But the, but the early church had seen some amazing changes taking place in the lives of people around them. And so they knew who they were. They knew who they were as a child of God. They knew who they were as a redeemed people by the blood of Jesus Christ. They were people who had been changed by the gospel, and so therefore they wanted to be people who would be leading others to be changed by the gospel. We're going to begin in verse 17 of Acts chapter 4, where it says, But in in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. Peter and John had just been before the council of Jerusalem, and and they had basically... uh, told them, you better knock it off what you're doing here. You know, there's people getting changed all over. There's lives being committed to Christ, and and, and we don't like what's going on here. And so they called them and, and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. 
For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand had planned, to, to, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and the signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. You see... We think that the church had it easy. I think we sometimes forget that. And so this morning, I want us to understand that the early church was opposed. You see, in verses 15 through 18, we're reminded that not everything was easy for the early church. God had used Peter and John and the early disciples to do some amazing, miraculous things. People were being healed, lives were being changed, eternal destinations were being changed because of the power of the gospel that was at work in their community. And the Jerusalem council said, we don't like this, the, 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 this gospel message seems to be having such an impact and having such a, a, a powerful effect on our community that's beyond our control and we want to be in control of this and we know nothing of this power of the gospel to save and to change lives and so they were not content with it and they were setting themselves up to be in complete opposition to the gospel message that Peter and John and the early disciples were proclaiming and, and when we see this kind of opposition, it's so important for us to remember that Peter and John were not handling this in their own strength. We love to quote Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to, to the ends of the earth. We love to quote that passage of scripture and, and talk about how that means that we're supposed to be Christians right here where we've been placed in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But we forget the fact that there was a reason they needed the Holy Spirit. That verse tells us that they will receive power, not because of who they are. They will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on them. Because it's the Spirit of God that changes hearts and lives. And it's the Spirit of God that helps us to, to face the trials and the tribulation and the difficulty that we're going to face in the world around us. They needed the Holy Spirit to accomplish the great things and the power of the gospel permeating their culture. And it's not any different for us today than it was then. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives just as they do. And thankfully, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The gospel message saves all who call on the name of Christ. And when we receive Christ, we get all of the Holy Spirit that we will ever need to face the kinds of difficulties that we might endure in our daily lives. Lives. You see, 
they faced a culture and leaders who were actively opposed to the message of the gospel. That's what they were facing. And I think sometimes we think only the American church has a government that's opposed to the gospel message. Sometimes we think only the American church faces jobs where they, they are trying to weed out the gospel. I think we think sometimes only the American church has a school system that wants to eliminate the Bible from our school system. But anywhere in the world where there is darkness, the gospel message will face persecution and opposition. And so we've made excuses to ourselves, and we say, oh, well, no one wants to listen, and no one wants to hear that, and nobody wants me to get too preachy with them, and nobody's really interested, because if they were interested, they would come and ask me about the gospel. Um, so we make all kinds of excuses for ourselves, and we give ourselves all kinds of reasons to not share the gospel. But we don't face the kind of persecution that they were. Verse 18, we see again that they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. I haven't faced that in my life. Maybe, maybe you have. But if we're living for the gospel, we will be opposed, just like the early church was opposed. And we shouldn't be surprised by it, because they're not opposed to us. They're opposed to the message of Christ, which brings salvation. But for these disciples and for that early church, that opposition wasn't enough to stop them from being outspoken. The opposition wasn't enough to quiet them. They said, for we cannot but speak. We can't help it. They were so compelled by the life-changing message of the gospel that had affected their lives that they said, we can't help but to speak. Oh, if we would have that same kind of passion in our lives, if we would be so compelled by the gospel that we would say, Lord, I can't even help but speak about your goodness, your grace, and your mercy, and the power of Christ that changed my life. Oh, how my life would be different if every word that came out of my mouth was permeated by the desire to please the Lord and to proclaim his gospel message they couldn't help but tell everyone what they had heard. And I mentioned earlier that the, this video, uh, the statement that says, when we believe the gospel, we want to tell people the gospel. Perhaps a better way to think about it is this. When we remember how we've been changed by the power of the gospel, we want to share the gospel. And so this morning, I want to compel each and every one of us to dwell on your own life. How has your life been changed by the power of the gospel? I can tell you my life has, has been night and day different. I shudder to think about what my life would be like without Christ. And I think sometimes we get cruising along in our lives and we forget about that. We forget about the wretched sinner that I am. You forget about the wretched sinner that you are. And we forget about what our lives might look like were it not for Christ. And I think sometimes, especially in a good church like ours, when, when children are raised up in, in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and they're raised up to study the Bible, and they're raised up to, to, to know Christ, and, and, and they're taught it in Sunday school, and family devotions, and in Awana, and all of these things are coming together, we, we begin to take it for granted, and we forget that had we not heard about Christ and responded to that gospel message, that we would be equally as lost as the most wicked person in this world. We need to remember that Christ 
has changed us. When we remember how we've been changed by the power of the gospel, we will be compelled to say, we can't help but speak for all that Christ has done for me. And it's important for us to remember that these outspoken disciples in the early church, what they were doing wasn't taking place in a spiritual vacuum. Look at verse 30, the first part of verse 21 when it says, And when they had further threatened them, so, so they threatened them, they said, keep your mouth shut, that wasn't enough. And then they came back and they said, all right, I don't think they're getting it. So when they had further threatened them, because they were going to be sending them on their way, they knew there was nothing they could do to stop them. You see, they were continuing to put pressure on them. It's not like this was a one-and-done kind of thing. But, but, it boils down to this. Their outspokenness had a huge impact in the community around them. The second part of verse 21 tells us what that impact looked like. The people around them wanted to know the God that these men served. Ultimately, that is what took place. The council let them go, finding no way to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. Their outspoken nature and the events that were taking place all caused others to go, man, their God is amazing. And that's what the gospel ultimately does. The gospel not only saves people, but even people around who are not coming to know Christ as Savior are compelled to say there is just something miraculous going on there. The church should be a community, people, community of people that reflect the supernatural power of God in such a way that everyone around us will say, their God is an amazing God. Look at the way that they love one another. Look at the way that they care for the needs of one another. Look at the way that they love people in the community and reach out to those that are in need. Look at the way that their lives are different. And so ultimately they're released because of the testimony of the gospel in their lives. And, and so when they're released, the first thing they go is they go out and they celebrate. No, that's probably what Chad would do. But they go out and they, they share with their friends. And they say, praise God, let's have a prayer meeting. This is amazing what God has done. They, they go immediately, in verse 23, we see that upon their release, they immediately go and testify and pray together with their body of believers. You see, the body of Christ, this church, should be a source of encouragement and prayer for one another regarding these things. This church must be a source of encouragement and prayer regarding reaching out to the lost around us. Because if there are people in our congregation who are trying to reach out with the gospel, they are facing opposition. And we should be encouraging one another and praying for one another. And we see that when Peter and John are dismissed, they immediately go to their prayer warriors. They immediately go to those that have been encouraging them. They immediately go to those who have been helping to meet their needs when they are in prison. See, see this prayer that they pray ultimately demonstrates their love for one another, their commitment to one another, their dependence upon one another. But more importantly, you cannot miss this, that, that their prayer is a beautiful crying out to God for him to do what only God can do. It's a crying out to God to do what only God can do. In fact, their prayer demonstrates their complete faith in God. They say, and now, Lord, look upon their threats. 
Like, like they get released from the Jerusalem council, and now, Lord, look upon their threats. And in Chad's mind, look upon their threats and wipe them out. Because, God, I don't think you realize how, peop- how these people are wicked beyond all measure. God, the things they've said to me, oh, boy, get them, God. That's what Chad would say. I hope that's not what Chad would say, but there's probably a good chance that in my flesh, Chad would at least be thinking those things. But the disciples, they said, look upon their threats. And and God, help us to be more bold. Help us to go out and tell even more people. These people are threatening us, but God... It's worth it. So, so give us boldness so that we don't cower in fear from their threats, but instead we would, in the power of the gospel, just go and be light in the darkness. That's, that's their prayer. That's what Peter and John pray. Grant that your servants would continue to speak your word with all boldness. Don't let us stop, God, because you're worth it. You are the prize. And then... Ultimately, not only do they pray for boldness instead of vengeance, but ultimately they demonstrate their trust and put their lives in the hands of an omnipotent God. They say that these things are ordained. These were people who understood that God is in control of everything and we can trust him when things go horribly wrong. Oftentimes when we're facing opposition, oftentimes when we're having difficulty, oftentimes when there's trials in our lives, we think, all right, what's wrong, God? There must be something wrong. But this was difficulty, trials that were ordained by the hand of God. Look at verse 23 where it says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported to the, what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voice, voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and it continues on. Their immediate response was, Sovereign God. God who is in control of all things, even the fact that Peter and John were before the council. You see, we have to be able to put our trust in the sovereignty of God. Jesus' death and his example is the perfect example of God's sovereign will to complete his work of salvation against opposition. Before the beginnings of the earth, before our time existed, the plan was that Jesus would come and die on the cross for us. Jesus' death demonstrates for us that that the sovereign will of God cannot be thwarted. And that means that when we're facing opposition, when we're facing trials, when we're facing perseverance, even that, as they demonstrate, is from the hand of God. They understood that even with massive forces of the political powers and the military might that was against them, they knew that God was in control. And not only was he in control, but they knew that they could trust in their sovereign God, but they must not neglect to reach out to others. They didn't just simply say, okay, God, you're the sovereign one. Excellent. Now do your thing. Get them. Save them. Or wipe them out, whichever you decide. They they didn't just say, okay, all right, I'm going to sit on my hands now, God, because you are sovereign and in control of all things. They knew 
that they now had a responsibility. That's why they were praying for boldness. That's why they were praying, God, give us the ability to continue to speak. God, make us compelled to go out and continue to share the gospel. Because we want to see lives changed. So this morning, I hope that we are going to walk away from ourselves, first and foremost, asking ourselves, am I a child of the king? Has my life been changed by the gospel? And if it has, then you have the same power residing in you that the church in Acts chapter 4 had, that the church in Acts chapter 2 had, that Christians from the time of Christ onward have had. We are indwelt by the power of God. The Holy Spirit resides in us. There's nothing that this world can do to us that is outside of the sovereign control of our loving, heavenly Father. If you are a born-again believer, you are part of his church. And, and we have not only the ability, but the command to go and make disciples and to teach them all the things that we have been taught. And that promise from Jesus is so precious. I am with you always to the very ends of the earth. When we believe the gospel, we should want to tell people the gospel. When you face opposition, don't forget who you are. You are a child of the king. You are a sinner saved by the grace of God. You are one who has been called out from the darkness so that you could be the light of Christ to the world around us. You are a servant of the Most High God. You are a child of the King. So we must go out there and serve Him like the outspoken messengers that He has designed us and compelled us to be. My hope here this morning is that you will know you are a child of the King and that you will go and serve your King. That's who we are. And that's what we should do. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, I pray for each and every one of us here this morning that you would help us to be mindful of the gospel. The gospel that takes us from the kingdom of darkness to your glorious kingdom of light. Your gospel that gives us the power to live a life that is pleasing to you, that we could never do on our own. It is your gospel that causes us to be adopted as sons and daughters. It is your gospel that gives us the ability to live each and every day of our lives for your honor and for your glory. And Father, I pray as well that it would be your gospel that would compel us to not only know who we are, but to realize that we must be ambassadors for Christ, that we must be salt and light to the world around us. We are the vehicle from which you have chosen to share your gospel message. Father, when we face trials, when we face people who are outspoken against our faith, when we face difficulties, Father, may we look to you, our sovereign Lord and King, and realize that, that your hand is at work. Help us to be bold.
in those situations. Help us to be committed to the gospel in those situations. And Father, may you use us to bring many to yourself who will be able to praise and glorify you forever because of what Christ has done for us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Chris.